Welcome to the Invincible Innovation Show, the podcast for changemakers. Each week, I talk to the most fascinating entrepreneurs and innovation leaders about innovation, strategy, and design. Hey, everyone. Today, we're going to talk about very interesting stuff, building failure skills, Google innovation culture, and customer-centered innovation at scale. Welcome to Invincible Innovation Live Show. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm Adima Zorkario, Product Innovation and Value Creation Expert, and I'll be your host. And today I have a very, very special guest. Hi, Chris. Hello. Great to see you, Chris. Chris Hood is the Business Innovation and Strategy at Google. And Chris is a digital strategist, podcaster, thought leader, speaker, currently working at Google as the head of Business Innovation and Strategy. Great to see you here. Thank you. And we're live on LinkedIn, YouTube, and Facebook, and you're so, invite, uh, you're so invited to join the discussion and ask questions, and we'd love to hear what you think. Wow. So now we can start. So let's start with innovation. What do you think are the challenges of building innovation at scale in, in this very, very large organization as Google? Yeah, I think there's two pieces to that. One, it's understanding what innovation actually is. And then the next part is, how do you scale that? So a lot of organizations don't really grasp the full terminology definition of, of innovation. They believe it's some miraculous idea, lightning in a bottle type of concept where you, you come up with this fabulous idea and then you package it and you make a lot of money, right? And that's right. really not what innovation is. Innovation is about definitely coming up with something amazing, but it's also about the process by which we go through to develop that thing that is amazing. If, if we think about, you know, we talk about lightning in a bottle, uh, just the light bulb itself, right? That light bulb went through hundreds of iterations before it was what we know today. And even today, it's still going through a revolution of different technologies and thoughts of how we use light. And, and so the entire process of coming up with an idea, testing it, uh, trying to sell it, marketing it, all of that is innovation. It does start with an idea, and, and that's where we then build this culture. How do you build innovation at scale with an organization? It's around allowing and recognizing that everyone in the organization is capable of coming up with an idea and allowing those ideas to mature, materialize, grow and harvest since we're in the harvest season. Yeah. Uh, so you, you have to think about it in that context. Like, enable people to come up with ideas, express those ideas, share those ideas, and then try them out. And maybe they'll work, maybe they won't, but that's a lot different than saying, oh, your job is to whatever, now go do your job, and that's not your job. So you know, why are you coming up with these ideas for an organization? That's not your job. Right. That's not the way we want to look at it. We, we have to be able to foster that, uh, that creativity in everyone because we never know when a good idea is going to materialize. 
Right. I think that most people, when they're thinking about innovation, they're thinking about entrepreneurs, someone who has this great idea and is going to build this startup and, and make it really big. And when you have this really huge, huge organization, it's so different because most people are not entrepreneur like by heart. They could be very creative, but they're working within a big organization. So how do you make them more creative and open to their ideas all the time? Well, it could be as simple as a suggestion box, you know, like just put your ideas into this box and you never know what you're going to find, right? Actually, there is a steel company that is in Europe. And I, I can't remember the steel company's name offhand, but it doesn't matter. There's a steel company and they actually have a suggestion box and they get roughly 10,000 suggestions a year. Now that's wow. a lot of ideas that people have, but because they've created this box, this figurative box, I, I don't know if they have an actual box, but a way that yeah. they can express ideas and, and share them, that is opening it up to everyone. Anyone with an idea can come in and put a suggestion in the box. Right. And, and so sometimes that's where creativity comes, or sometimes it's a spark of a new idea. Like, oh, I didn't think about it in that way. Oh, but what if we, and that's where collaboration comes in is because now I can take your idea and I can make it better. And then we can bring in somebody else and they can make it even better. And the more people you contribute to this idea, in theory, you should be able to get to something that is going to be beneficial to the organization. But it doesn't always have to be about creativity. Ultimately, what we're trying to do is solve a problem. So whatever the problem is, and that might be a problem that you are faced with every single day in your job. I do this process and it's manual and I hate it. And what if we were to... All you're trying to do is solve a problem that you are encountering every single day. And a lot of the suggestions, like in the steel box, uh, suggestion box at the steel company, as an example, are probably just recommendations on like, how do, um, how do I make my life better at work? But that's right. okay because that's ultimately still contributing to creating this culture of innovation because these ideas can be as simple as if we did this, this, and this, it would save me a hundred hours a week. Yeah. Okay. That could be something that is huge in the master scheme of things. So yeah. whether it's creativity or whether it's just problem solving, anything goes. And, and that's the foundational rule of innovation. Yeah. And I know that in Google, you have this, I think, 10% of your time you can invest in your own projects. Is I think this, this is what I heard. Could you tell us more about that? It's 20%. And so 20. what that actually is, is we want to provide people with an opportunity to grow. And so this isn't solely innovation. It may be, and I can give you a couple of examples, but ultimately what we're doing is we want to allow our employees to grow and prosper and learn. So what you could potentially do is take that 20% time and then apply it to an educational opportunity. You might want to go explore a different department within the organization to contribute and, and see how they operate. 
And that time gives you skills and capabilities. It helps you grow. Uh, it's no different than really like if you were to go to school, but you're doing that in a real world capacity within the organization itself. We might also have an idea and we want to explore that idea. So I have a thing that I want to build. Uh, I get 20% of my time that I'm going to dedicate to trying to build this new idea that I have. And we encourage that because what that's a, again doing is it's allowing an individual to grow, but it's also contributing to the organization. It's where we find some of our best ideas. Some of the technologies you are using today came from 20% ideas. For example, Gmail. Gmail, Gmail? was yeah. a 20% project. Wow. Somebody I didn't said, know hey, that. Yes, I, I I wish we had some type of email system that did yada, yada, yada. And they went off to try to build it. And they built it and it grew and it became more popular and it became a foundational staple of Google's products. Again, all from a 20% role. Wow, I didn't know it's it's part of these projects. I always hear about it and it sounds to me like, yeah, they can have some fun as part as as the benefits of going to Google. I didn't I didn't think about Gmail as one of these like benefits. So it's really interesting to see that it's it's growing. And do you feel that people are using like it's most mostly type of developers doing that, or type of roles or teams doing that, or everyone is doing that? Well, not everyone. I, I actually think that there's a lot of people who love their job and they just want to dedicate 100% of their time to their job. Right. Great. Awesome. Keep doing it. Uh, but I do think that there's also some individuals who have ideas and they want to explore them, whether they're technical or not. Actually, I have a podcast at Google called That Digital Show. That Digital Show, my podcast, is a 20% project. Ah, and so I wow. spend 20% of my time dedicated to developing podcast content and talking with customers and individuals like you about what we're doing at Google. And wow. that's fabulous because it's something that I'm passionate in. It's something that I enjoy. And so I get to dedicate some of my time during the day to the things that I enjoy doing. In addition to my regular full-time job, which I love doing as well. So yeah, it's it's a win-win for sure. And do you have like an innovation? Do you have um, parts which is like an accelerator and part which is like the daily job, um, micromanagement or enhancement? Or how do you divide the innovation within this very big organization? Yeah, you know, there is a mechanism by which we want to understand if what we are doing is successful or not. Right. We have to measure the work in some capacity. And it's different across all of those ideas. For example, with my podcast, we measure success based on how many listeners we have. If we have a lot of listeners, then we're doing well. If we weren't getting a lot of listeners, then we might argue that maybe we shouldn't be working on the podcast, right? It's no different than any type of business. You open up a business, you're an entrepreneur, you start a new idea. Do you get sales? If you don't, then you might have to rethink your strategy. 
if you're getting a lot of sales, you, yeah, we're doing great. We keep going. So yeah. the metrics of these ideas is critical. And it ultimately leads to data and understanding what the data is telling us. And so sometimes it may not be sales. For example, in new businesses, a startup business might not have a lot of sales for the first year, but they can demonstrate growth through other vehicles, whether that's uh, uh, a growing database of customer references or uh, whether that's a, a newsletter that you're generating that is increasing in size. Like there's other things that we can look at to determine if something is successful as opposed to just sales. But all of that is rooted in data. And, and you have to look at the data. One, you have to capture the data. Two, you have to actually analyze the data to understand what's happening. And then three, you actually have to act upon the data. If it's good data or bad data, you, you can't yeah. manipulate it. You can't just change the data because you're like, I don't like what that says. I'm going to change this. So it looks better. It doesn't help, right? So we yeah. have to actually look at the data, analyze it, and, and then take action on that data to further whatever we're trying to work on or, or innovate around. Yeah. So, so it's like taking what you know from customer-centered um, business in general and, and taking that into the innovation uh, initiative and saying like we're treating the customer it could be internal external just the same as we're treating our customers for our products yeah for me if we think about a customer a customer could be anyone it could be you and i a customer is somebody who's engaged with us in some way whether you want to call them a, a user or a customer or a consumer or fill in the blank. It's all the same thing. I'm doing something for somebody else and they're coming back to me. That individual can be internal, external. It could be a partner. It really is. Anyway, it's you and I, right? right? Technically you are the podcast host. I am the guest. I am your customer. You know, if you right. wanted to look at it in that capacity. Yeah. And, so because and of that, listeners. Yeah. And you have listeners, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, we could we could play the entire B to B to C, you know, or B to right. C type of scenario into this. All of those things matter because as you are coming up with ideas, as you're trying to innovate, as you're trying to solve a problem for your listeners, for your consumers, for your customer, your user, you need to understand what they want. And then once again, it goes back to the data. Listen to what they want, bring that data in and allow that data to influence how you progress, how you iterate, how you move forward in your products and services and ideas. Yeah, so, so taking the understanding from a customer or in that case, a listener or somebody who's interested in your services and it could be someone internal. So if you're solving some, something for yourself or for the team, they're like your customers to what you're doing. And, and it's really interesting to see that it's the same way of thinking as in if it's like a startup, but it's internal. It's something that you create or something that is customer facing. It doesn't matter. That's right. Yeah, it, it just doesn't matter because if we go back to the suggestion box at the steel company, if all of those suggestions are how to make my job better, 
that's fine because ultimately what you're trying to do is satisfy the needs of your user or your employees to make their lives better, more enjoyable, which in theory will make them more productive. And if they're more productive, you're ultimately going to be more profitable. Yeah, of course. If they're doing their job better, it's it's for, for the whole company, that's for sure. So I wanted to ask you as a strategist at Google, and that you meet so many interesting like initiatives and trends, what are the most exciting trends you see coming in the next few years and, and what should we or leaders be aware about the future? I think the biggest thing we are seeing is the convergence of different types of industries. So there used to be a time where we would have singular industries for a company, you know, for example, I'm an automobile manufacturer, I make cars. And so I'm in the manufacturing business. Yeah. But now what we're seeing is a lot of companies are starting to bridge the gap between multiple industries. And, and I think we're going to start to see organizations really become multi-industry organizations. Now we can see this already, and it's been around for a while with bigger companies such as uh, somebody like Disney. Disney has theme parks, they have hotels, they have sports, they have streaming entertainment and movies and television shows, right? So they are bridging a lot of different industries in what they are producing. But if you think about even companies like in retail, they are quickly becoming multiple industry. They're not just retail, but they're retail and say uh technology you know because they have to build technology that attracts consumers in different ways through e-commerce and uh selling right so they're still ultimately selling something but but the organization has to uh, start to dabble into a lot of different types of technologies uh, in different industries to accomplish that we're also seeing it in areas like financial services where uh, I can now uh, get credit loans and credit companies. So we, if we go back to a car company, as an example, they're not just manufacturing the car, but they're selling the car retail. They're providing insurance for the car, insurance organizations, and, and, um, and, and then they're also financing the car. So there's financial services. So you got manufacturing financials, uh, uh, insurance, retail all wrapped up into one organization. And I think we're going to see more of this because consumers, once again, we go back to us, are looking for that kind of one-stop shopping destination experience. Uh, even if we look at grocery stores today and how they've evolved due to the pandemic, you know, of the last couple of years and things like curbside pickup, those technology shifts in how we consume or shop for groceries have evolved what the organization is. And so as, as we see us as consumers wanting to engage with our brands, our favorite brands in unique ways, we're going to see uh, this convergence of different options within those experiences. So yeah, 
Another quick example is if if you think you have uh, like a mobile app with loyalty rewards points on them, and you can put your credit card in to purchase, um, you know, gift points or whatnot, and then you can take that to your fast food company and then purchase, you know, all of that is convenience for you as a consumer, but it also puts additional strains on the business to adapt to all of these different industries as a singular entity. Yeah. You know, it's it's really interesting. I thought you that you would mention like AI, AR, VR, something like that. And and it's it's what you're saying it, it presents lots of pressure for the businesses to really grow all the time and to get and to know their customers and to grow with new technologies and new services all the time, which is a demand that that only if you're a big growing organization you could meet. Yeah, I mean, look, you you talk about AI. So so yeah, sure, AI is fascinating and it's going to bring us a lot of really interesting capabilities. But let's look at an organization like McDonald's. Okay? McDonald's is a fast food company. Right. Now, if I said McDonald's plus AI, what do I have? Well, now you are forcing McDonald's to develop new and richer experiences with AI, which means they have to ramp up a bunch of uh, teams that are focused on data and, and machine learning and AI to create these experiences within their mobile app, right? They can come to you know organizations like Google Cloud that have those capabilities, but ultimately you've got a fast food company that now has to invest in the technology that consumers are looking for that are going to grow those experiences across those different industry perspectives so that they can ultimately generate more sales at McDonald's. That's a consumer-driven demand with technology like AI that's ultimately influencing where the business is going to go. And those are the trends we're seeing. Yeah, so so what you're saying means for leaders today that first you, if even if your retails or manufacturing doesn't matter you need to understand technology and you cannot stay in only one domain you need to grow and innovate all the time because if not your your competitors will do so yeah absolutely absolutely i, I it, and i think it means that small businesses doing only very very small um very different Thing, they need to differentiate themselves so clearly in order to get business. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's necessarily they have to differentiate themselves. I, I think that's actually one of the challenges that a lot of organizations are faced with. When, when they think innovation, they're thinking, oh, we have to come up with something to differentiate ourselves. When reality, it's really not about being different. It's about being better. You know, and maybe you can say that's your differentiation, but yeah. we'll go back to McDonald's. People are still going to go to McDonald's. There's a hundred different burger companies in the entire country, all there, but people still go to McDonald's. They're not differentiating themselves. And you can't even argue that, uh, well, it's faster. That's why people go to McDonald's. No, there's, yeah. you know, there's Burger King, Jack in the Box. You can rattle them off. There's plenty of burger places that are just as fast maybe have better food or not food, but yet McDonald's is still selling a ton of cheeseburgers. So 
what's the differentiation for them? You know, family yeah. experience. I mean, we can rattle off a whole bunch of ideas, but that's not the case. What's, what's really ultimately going to differentiate them is the ability to connect with their customers in ways that are going to make the experience more convenient. And again, mm -hmm. this doesn't have to be some revolutionary idea. And, and those organizations that are trying to come up with that revolutionary idea that's going to differentiate them are going to keep doing it and keep doing it. When what we know is that consumers are going to go to the places that they are loyal to, brand loyalty, and that they get the uh, customer satisfaction and the experience that they're looking for. So just yeah. to put this in a different context, if you were to go to a grocery store today to buy groceries and you pulled out your debit card to pay for your groceries and that grocer said, sorry, we don't take debit cards, we only take cash, most likely what you're going to do is go to a different grocery store. That's most likely what's going to happen. And so that grocery store has to implement the technologies that consumers are expecting to see. And so when they go to the grocery store and you pull out your debit card, yes, we take that. Great. And we can add all other flavors like Apple Pay or Samsung Pay or Google Pay or you know any of the kind of mobile payment services. Like it's still hard to go to like a gas station today and pay like with Apple Pay. And yet a lot of people expect that. And so that gas station has to evolve to meet the demands of the consumers to make the experience the one that they want. And that ultimately is your differentiator. Mm. So what you're saying is that they need to think all the time about growing and innovating and creating better uh, solution services and uh, customer experiences to their, to their customers and not as what am I different in? I'm different in the fact that I'm allowing all these payment possibilities for my customers in that case. Yeah, you're making it convenient for the consumer. And the more convenient it is, and we know that that's through technology today, the more convenient it is, the more likely I'm going to return to that particular venue, whatever it is. Yeah. So. You know, I, I've been to gas stations before and it says like, uh, you know, enter your ID, enter your loyalties. Uh, you know, do you want a, a car wash? Yes or no. Do you want, you know, free drink? You know, it's asking me all these questions on the screen and then I swipe my card and then it, you know, there's an error and then it says, oh, we didn't recognize it. Swipe again. Well, by that time, I'm so frustrated. Yeah, I, I just want to get gas. And so if I find a gas station that's like, uh, yeah, just enter your card and select the grade of gas. Wow, that was quick and easy. I'm coming back here, you know. So it's, yeah. it's that mindset that it's it's this consumer first mindset that you have to understand and then embrace that with the various technologies that consumers are expecting to use. Yeah. And it comes it comes to my mind two things. First, it means that we need to run all the time. And technology is changing so fast and we need to reinvent our businesses all the time. 
So it's it's really fast growing and fast changing. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. And second is like, what do you think would be the future that you would like to see if we're saying that everything is gonna go like more consumer centered, faster growing, technology related? What do you think? Well, first on the technology piece, I think it's not necessarily always about running and, and trying to catch up or keep up with whatever the new technology is. It's about understanding that there is technology that is already out there that can foundationally help you stay ahead. For example, just the cloud, you know, Google Cloud, uh, AI in some capacity, uh, technologies like APIs. Uh, which allow you to adapt your technologies uh, as they change, right? So I can foundationally set up APIs, Google Cloud, uh, data services, uh, storage capabilities. And then as technology changes, I don't have to try to keep up with it. I just adjust what I already have in place. That's what Google Cloud is here to help with, right? Is, is you can have uh, the technologies in place, we make the changes and then you get the benefits of those changes in real time. Yeah. Right. right. So those types of decisions I think are critical as you're picking out what kind of technologies you want to use. It's not to say things like, oh, I'm hearing a lot about uh, the metaverse. I'm going to invest a lot of stuff in the metaverse. Yeah. That's the wrong way to think about it. Yeah. You've NFT, Bitcoin. Gotta, yeah. <laughs> Don't try to bring in the technology that is going to be the next big thing. Build the foundational, the, the technologies that are going to allow you to get to the next big thing when it comes, right? Yeah. So that's that. As far as where I think things are going, it goes back to this multi-industry type of perspective. And if we think about consumer journeys, those consumer journeys are going to get more advanced as different industries are sharing data across different platforms. So I often will use an example of if you go on a trip, if you take a vacation or a business trip, there are any number of different types of applications you currently use today to make that trip happen. You're going to book a flight potentially, and so you have the airline app, you've got to book a hotel room, so you have the hotel room app, uh, you might need a taxi or an Uber, so you have the driving app that takes you from the airport to the hotel, you might want dinner reservations, and so you've got an app that handles dinner reservations, and so on and so on. The phrase of there's an app for that is, you know, is relevant because we've got so many apps for so many different things that we do throughout our day. So right. in this travel example, I'm using multiple apps to complete an entire journey. But for us as consumers, the journey is one thing. I'm taking a trip. So we have to start asking ourselves, why is it that I have to connect to all of these different apps and remember all of these different accounts and all these different passwords and create all these different profiles and contribute to all of these different processes for just the one thing I'm doing, taking a trip. And if we think about as, an, as these connected industries, as a consumer, 
I should be able to book a trip in one app in theory. And I know there's apps out there that will allow you to do this, but I should be able to connect the dots between these different steps. For instance, uh, when I land at the airport, wherever I'm at, why can't the Uber driver already know that I'm landed and start making their way to pick me up, right? Or the Uber driver should already know what hotel I'm going to because it's integrated into my trip itinerary, right? And these connections between different uh, experiences to create one seamless customer journey, I think is a big part of where we're going to uh, be in the future. And we can uh, apply this concept across everything we do from going to work, to seeing a movie, to grocery shopping, to everything. We're so focused on the experience at the level where I'm at. So when I go grocery store, when I go to the grocery store, there's ex an experience at the grocery store, but we know that there's things that we're doing before and after that. For instance, I'm creating a list of the things I need at the grocery store. I'm thinking about my dinner and plans for the rest of the week. I'm budgeting what do I want to spend at the grocery store. And then I go to the grocery store and then afterwards, I'm thinking about, okay, now what meal am I going to have? And what is the recipe? And who's coming to dinner? And who's going to be here for the night? And what music am I going to listen to while I eat dinner? And those connective experiences between building out my shopping list to shopping to listening to music while I cook dinner with the recipe, that complete experience is the interconnection that I think we're going to get to. And I think that will be fabulous because us, again, as users and consumers are going to have this incredible immersive experience throughout multiple applications and through multiple processes in that journey. And do you think it will be like business-wise, it will be one company or companies joining forces in order to provide me this uh, overarching experience? Yeah, I think it's going to be shared relationships between the companies like an ecosystem where the ecosystem expands beyond the borders of their premise. So a grocery store typically deals with all of the data within that grocery store. But now how can that grocery store begin to share that data and those experiences with partners across a larger ecosystem so that you can create those connection points to make those journeys more complete? I see. Okay, I, I have so many questions, but there is one I wanted to really, before we are going forward, about failures. So we know that failures are really important, but why is it so important for someone doing innovation, not only for someone growing from an experience that he adjusted to? Well, if we go all the way back to the beginning of the conversation, the light bulb, the light bulb probably blew out, and I'm sure somebody who's listening might actually be able to wiki this or look it up, but it, it failed multiple times. The failure influenced learnings to see, well, we should try this now, or well, let's not do that again, right? Failures are an essential component of innovation. You have to be able to fail. No one is going to wake up one morning with a brilliant idea, build that idea and launch that idea and it be a massive success just doesn't work that way. 
you have to try, fail, learn, adapt, and then try again. And that evolution of failing and learning from those failures ultimately helps you get to a better product. If we go all the way back to Gmail as an example, Gmail has gone through hundreds of iterations over the years. And now we're at a point where we can come up with new features and new ideas. But heck, we could come up with a new feature today and it wouldn't be successful, potentially would not be successful. There's a lot that goes into that and understanding what consumers want or don't want and, and analyzing the data as we talked about. So you've got to be able to embrace that we're not going to get it right the first time. There is potential for failure. We accept that failure. We're not going to say, hey, you, you came up with this idea and it sucked. Uh, you know, you're fired. Like, yeah. we don't do that, right? We embrace the ideas and the concepts and the uh, effort. And then we learn from those mistakes, failures, and grow the products to be better. So how do you grow this within the company, a culture you could trust the fact that if you would fail, it will be okay. And what kind of failure is not okay with you? And I guess there are some of them, right? Well, I think this again goes back into how do you build a culture of innovation? So we could say uh, allowing people to come up with ideas is one thing. And then accepting those ideas and not criticizing people for those ideas. You know, the, the phrase like there, there's no stupid question, right? You know, we, we could argue if there are stupid questions or not, but, <laughs> okay. you know, <laughs> we've got to say, you know, there's no stupid ideas, like just share your ideas. And then we in the culture have to be able to accept that and not criticize for somebody like this is a fabulous idea, whether it is or not. We don't know if it is or not. We can't predict the future. We, you know, um, you know, if somebody said, hey, we need to put squares or tires on cars, somebody might say, well, that's not going to work out. But we're not going to yeah. criticize you for coming up with the idea, right? That's the difference, right? It's it's to embrace that and to uh, uh, help people feel like they are safe in a safe environment when they do come up with ideas, and that um, that safety is a key component. And then same thing as we start to explore and we adapt and iterate on these ideas. We're not going to just throw somebody under the bus like, oh, you know, that's Charlie's idea. You know, we should get rid yeah. of him. No, we right. have to still maintain that level of safety within the organization because that's what's going to thrive these conversations and ideas. I think right. at some level there is a, in, you know, if individuals are not trying and they're just sitting around or they're not productive or they're unwilling, you know, or they're hostile in the process. Or, you know, I, I think there's obviously other factors to consider in that process. But as long as the culture is create is is correct, is is safe and allows for thriving ideas, then I think 
you have the opportunity to be successful. Right. So you, you mentioned that you really love your job other than doing podcasting. So what is your favorite part of, of doing innovation at Google? Well, it's coming up with these types of ideas and, and conversations, having opportunities to work with large brands across the globe and to hear what they want to do and what they want to accomplish. And at times to even be able to challenge them. You know, like we say, we've got to use data to uh, facilitate or analyze what we're working on and if it's successful or not. Sometimes you'll get an organization that says, hey, I've got a great idea and here's what it is. And then you can ask, like, well, does the data back that up? Or what do your consumers say? Or have you looked at this from a customer's point of view? All of the things we've been talking about, you can have these conversations. And what I love is when I have conversations with executives at big businesses and they, you know, they want to dive deeper into these topics, when they want to learn and grow, and when they have an idea and you can help them realize that idea. You know, when we can take Google Cloud technologies like artificial intelligence and make an idea become a reality for them to support their customers, that's always been beneficial to me. And, and yeah, I just love it. Yeah. I, if I understand correctly, what you're saying is first, it's, it's very diverse what you're doing with different clients and different needs, different types of projects. And second is working with them and helping them create whatever is their next stage or next idea in their businesses. Yeah, yeah, there's always a heated sometimes, maybe not so much heated, but there's always an interesting conversation at the start. Like, how do we think about this? And how do you think about this? And where should we be thinking about this? And then there's the idea. And now you have an idea and you can start to ask the other questions. Like, what is this idea going to bring your customers? What is this idea going to do for your business? How is this idea going to generate value for your organization? And a lot of times they don't know. And so when you ask those questions, you know, then we start to get into it more and, and that's exciting. And then always to see the idea come to life and actually happen. You know, I, I'm always fascinated yeah. about that. Yeah. It's like, wow, you know, we had an yeah. idea, we talked about it and here it is, it's live, awesome. So, yeah. yeah, I totally understand that part. The, the first part is like doing different things and challenging. And we have a, a, a viewer that says it's just challenging. And Raman Ravula says the keep of the good work. And I think the challenging what people say and, and from your understanding, outside understanding of their, of their organization business, it gives so much value. And the other thing is like really uh, implementing something. There is an idea, and in the end, you have a result. And and for someone who's who's creating products, for me, that's the best thing. There, it was only someone thinking about it. Now it's something that they could a service, a product they could provide to their end customers, which is wow. It's 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 really, you know, seeing it in action is so lively, and and fun. I would say so. I I totally understand that. And thanks, Roman, for your um, comment. 
And I want to ask you, what do you think leaders need to know in order to lead their companies to the future? Yeah, I think a lot of leaders have great insights as to what their organization is going to be able to accomplish and, and what their vision is. And I think they can continue to drive those visions. I think where organizations as a whole run into challenges is in the mindset of, well, this is how we've always done things. This is how we will continue to do things. And we just know that, and, and we've seen it from throughout time, is, is that when you get stuck in your ways, and this is how we've always done it, is when you tend to start to fall behind. And so, as you were stating earlier, is like, how do you run? How do you keep up? How do you evolve? as technology evolves and as consumer demands change, that's where like Google Cloud comes in is because you can institute the technology, the foundational technologies like we were talking about that are going to help you keep up with those times. And in a lot of cases, it's not how you've always done things. And you've got to break that mold. You've got to change that mindset. You've got to get into that customer first perspective so that you can be ready to adjust, evolve, learn, fail, grow, and leverage the technology to help you do all of it. Right. I totally understand what you're saying about the mindset because most people think is like uh, when you're growing, you need to understand the business or the money or um, the technology. And it's it's mainly really understanding that what you've done might not be the best solution. And maybe you should think about it differently. And I think that many leaders understand it. But I don't know if I would say most of them, but many of them find it really difficult. If something has worked in the past, why not try it again? Yeah, it, I think there's a couple things. It's it's not like, well, it's always worked for us, so we'll just continue to do it. Or they realize they have to change. They just don't know how to change. And that typically is the most, is the conversation we have the most. It's just around like, yes, we recognize we have to make a, an adjustment here, but but we just don't know where to start. It's overwhelming to us. And we have a culture with 20,000 employees that are all saying, well, we shouldn't be doing this. You know, we've always done it this way. So how do we get the entire culture to shift? How do we get the mindset of not just leadership, but the organization to think differently? And where do we start? Right. And that is scary. It's yeah, very it overwhelming. And uh, so the organization's, that uh you know struggle with that are usually coming to google for just that purpose like help us like we we recognize we need help so help us because we don't know what to do and, and so yeah. we have a lot of conversations around well where do we start and and what are the big things and what are the little things and how do we shift that mindset and how do we adapt throughout the organization and and what is the vision and you know, all the things that you normally would do at the start of running a business. Now you've got a hundred year old company with 20,000 employees who have always done things the same way. And now they're scared to change. 
And so again, there are foundational activities that you can do to help you begin to make that transition. And then there's technologies to help you in the migration efforts and the, the how we can help you with, right? The why and the what are things that you mostly have to figure out. And uh, again, it, it can be very scary and challenging. Yeah, for sure. It, it is scary. Changing in general, people don't really like to change. They don't want to, to do things differently. And it, and it's hard. It's hard to change as, as people and for surely as our organizations. So I want to thank you for your time. It's been really insightful and interesting to talk to you. And where could people hear more about Google Cloud and what you're doing and the podcast? Tell us more. Well, I share a lot of insights and thoughts on my own personal blog. So you can go find me at chrishood.com or do a Google search for Chris Hood and you'll find me. And I have blogs and podcasts and things that I'm working on there. So all of my social media accounts, so you can follow me there. And I talk a lot about what we're doing at Google and the things that we're working on. So uh, you can find that there as well. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Chris. It's been really in interesting to talk to you. And to all of you changemakers out there, thank you for joining me. And if you want to learn about my work, go to InvincibleInnovation.com. And I'll see you next week with another innovative, insightful talk. See ya. Bye-bye. Thank bye. you. I'm Adima Zorkario, and you've been listening to the Invincible Innovation Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, InvincibleInnovation.com, where you can learn more about our programs and my book, Innovating Through Chaos. I'll be waiting for you next week in our next episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.